Thanks for checking out this message from Coastal Community Church. We hope it's helpful and encouraging. I'm excited to be able to bring today's message to you, whether you're online or whether you're right here in person. Uh, This is week three of our Bridges series. Two weeks ago, we kicked it off at Easter with the Bridge to Eternity. Last week, our youth pastor, Ryan Spell, uh, finished up his message on the bridge from religion to relationship. And today, we get to look at another bridge, the bridge from brokenness to restoration. Now, as we kind of dive into this, I want to ask you a question to get you thinking a little bit. Uh, Have you ever been caught in a lie? And I don't mean like, my three-year-old, she stole a cookie. She's looking right at me and I ask her and she says, uh, no, I didn't steal the cookie. I'm like, yes, you did. I'm, I watched you do it. I don't mean like a little lie. I mean like a lie where you begin to tell some more lies to cover up the previous lie into another lie to where you've kind of weaved this big web of lies that you don't even know where you're at or what's, maybe even what's truth at that point. Because I think we've all had these moments and all have had these opportunities and points in our life where we've done this and we continue to just to lie after lie after lie to hopefully maybe the next one will, will get me across the finish line to where this person will believe me. Uh, as I think about this, I'm reminded of a time for me when I was in sixth grade and I got yet another note sent home uh, from my teacher and it was either for grades or not doing my homework, acting up a class, one of those three things pretty much fit into that category for all of these notes. But I got it sent home on a Friday uh, and the part with this note was that it actually had to be given to my mom who then had to sign the note and I had to return it on Monday. Now, this was a, uh, another note in a series of notes that I had been getting sent home. And I didn't feel like I could face the, the discipline that was coming from yet another note. And so I had this great idea. I remember when I was a kid that I had this tracing machine that was given to me uh, as a kid to be able to put one thing down and it lights it up. And you put a piece of paper, you can trace me, you could draw anything you want to. And so what I did is I had this amazing idea as a sixth grader is that I went and found my mom's canceled checks. Now, if you're under 30, canceled check, Google it. You'll find out what that is. But I had a canceled check and I took this canceled check. I put it down on that, pe- on that light up table and I put this note over the top. And man, I began to forge my mom's signature. Lie number one, right? And so I forged the signature. Don't think anything of it. Don't say much about it. On Monday, I go in, hand it to the teacher. Probably, yeah, my mom, yeah, here's, here it is, signed it. You know. So you had another lie as I hand it to the teacher. Well, that evening uh, on our caller ID, I get a call or we get a call from uh, what is this teacher's name? And I see the name and I think, oh no, I've been found out. And so in that moment, I begin to answer the phone and hello, is your mom there? Yeah, yeah, hold on just a second. So I hand my mom the phone and I quietly sneak off to my bedroom, close the door, you know, do homework, you know, good kid things and get in there and I can hear my mom out there. Oh, oh, really? Oh, yeah. Uh, And I'm thinking, oh no. So mom gets off the phone, she knocks on my door and opens the door. I'm like, yeah, and she said, so I talked to uh, Mrs. McKinnon and uh, she says that uh, you had brought home a note Friday and turned it in today that I signed. Uh, but the problem is she doesn't think I signed it. And I was like, well, what do you mean? She said, well, it sa- she says on the note where my signature is that halfway through my name that I stopped, erased, and then went back and finished my signature. <laughs> I was a sixth grader, okay? Just give me some slack, all right? And I was like, oh, yeah. And she said, yeah, I don't think I would erase halfway through my signature. I was like, well, then I began to play it up a little bit more. Mom, but don't you remember on Friday, I came and gave you this note and you weren't feeling good because she wasn't. She had been laying on the couch and you weren't feeling good. You had had a headache. And, you know, so I began to weave this web of lies and you signed and you kind of like had stumbled and like, wait, and you kind of went back. Oh, and you and then you finished signing and, you know, and and she says, I don't remember that. And I was like, yeah, 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 yeah. So I just kept lying. 
And so uh, she said, well, here's what's going to happen. Tomorrow you're going to go to school. Mrs. McKinnon's going to give you the note. You're going to bring it home. I'm going to look at it. And if I sign it, I'll send it back. We're all, everything's good. And I'm like, oh yeah, it sounds good. Sounds great. And so she goes off and I sit there and in my guilt within the next hour or two, I go into my mom crying, mom, I forged your signature. She says, no joke. I knew it the whole time. <laughs> you know, as if I didn't think my mom could have figured that out. But I began to weave this big web of lies. And here's why I tell you that story. Not only because it's funny and it makes me look terrible, but uh, we all at points in our life think that we can come through in times of deception or sin. We will sin on top of another sin to cover ourselves until we think that we will never be found out. We have these moments, but there comes a time in our life when we have to acknowledge that we are sinful and that we are incapable of achieving freedom on our own behalf. So we can't keep going down this wrong path because of our earthly pleasure and our evil desires, thinking the next thing or the next time will actually make us feel good or will get us over the top or past the line that we need to be past. So in Matthew 16, it says this, then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? Here's the point. We cannot save our own life. We must deny ourselves, as this passage of scripture says, because we are a distorted version of God's perfect creation. We need to let go of our self-gratification. We need to reject ourselves. And we ultimately need to turn to Jesus and to follow after him with everything that we have. And so as setting the stage, here's what I want us to talk about today. A few different things that are true of every single one of us, whether you're watching online or whether you're right here in person. The very first thing is this. You are glorious because you were made in God's image. Every single one of us, we are glorious because we are made in God's image. You were made exactly how God wanted you to be made. Whether you have brown hair or red hair, whether you have blue eyes or green eyes, whether you have white skin or black skin, whether you are skinny or not skinny, whatever it may be, God has made you exactly the way that you are to be made. He's created you. He didn't make any mistakes. He knows exactly who you are and that you were made this, the way that you were supposed to be. You were made glorious. Genesis 1, 26 and 27 says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. You see, God created humanity, and he found it to be good. We are made in the image of God himself and we are glorious creatures whom he loves and desires a relationship with like we heard last week from Pastor Ryan. He wants a relationship with us. You see, God didn't make a mistake in creating you just the way that you are with all of your craziness, all of your emotions and your personality traits and talents and abilities and everything that you are. He didn't make a mistake. He created you exactly the way he wanted to create you. In fact, Psalm 139 speaks to this. It says, for you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. You were conceived by your biological mom, your biological dad, but there was a third party that was involved in your birth, in your conception. And that's God. He was right there. 
In fact, in this passage of scripture, it says that he knitted you together in your mother's womb, meaning he put you together. He meshed you together. In fact, he is the one that, uh, you know, kind of sparked this fusion of, of sperm and egg together. Then he connected these DNA strands and then he breathed his own life into you to give you life. You were wonderfully made. You were glorious, every single one of you. But why don't we feel glorious? Which leads us to number two. You were ruined by sin. We are ruined by sin. It ruins us. It has distorted God's creation. It has polluted our, our hearts and our souls. It has messed up what God created to be perfect and what he saw was good. Romans 3.23 speaks to this. It says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You see, all, all humans are, are glorious, but they are also ruined by spiritual pollution. The pollution of sin and evil began when the earliest humans, Adam and Eve, chose to turn away from God. And this invited sin, evil, and death into the world. What they thought would make them more like God actually separated them from God and distorted his perfect creation. It messed it up. Sin was brought into the world. Evil and death are now a part of who we are, a part of our sinful nature. In 2015, there was an heir to an old barn in France, uh, and this heir made a discovery that under a pile of magazines in the barn was an old convertible. And this car uh, had a prancing horse on its grill and turned out to be a Ferrari. But not just any Ferrari, a 1961 Ferrari 250 GT, which is one of the most rare and valuable cars in the world. You see, every year, classic car uh, enthusiasts like this are, have these things where they're discovered and what these car collectors call a barn find. These barn finds, uh, barn find cars are usually ruined because of the condition that they're in. They're rusty, their engines don't run, they're not good for driving in their current state. However, because they are rare and valuable, they're worth many thousands or even millions of dollars. Most people would look at these cars and say they're junk. But many of these barn find cars have been taken apart to some extent, and so they are a rusting pile of engine parts and other components. Most people just see a rusting ruin, but someone that is an expert with a trained eye sees a glorious masterpiece with potential. They see it. And as it was, that this barn find Ferrari was not going to start up, it wasn't going to drive, because it had, uh, the, you know, the fuel lines were rotted, the brake lines were decayed, all these just issues and problems with it. But in the exact dilapidated and ruined condition, with dust on it and magazines still piled on the hood, this car sold for $23 million. Wow. I need a barn. Am I right? But why did it sell for so much in that condition? Because it's a masterpiece. And it's a masterpiece that could be restored, that it could be restored from its ruined state that it was in. It had potential, and the only person that saw the potential was the expert. So each of us, we are a masterpiece that has been ruined by sin, but Jesus, who is the expert, has found us and has deemed us worthy, worthy of his own death. Your value, even in its ruined state, is still a price that Jesus is willing to pay. He's willing to pay for you with your sin, with your struggles, with your trials, with your temptations, with all the things that you think are, are flaws in your life, that you think are issues and negatives in your, in your characteristics and in, in who you are, he finds you valuable. He finds you glorious. And even in your ruined state, he is still willing to pay the ultimate price. Romans 5.17 says, For the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of righteousness. 
For all who receive it will live in triumph over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ. You see, as a result of Adam's sin, we will enter the world with a fallen nature. Sin and death will rule over us. This is called original sin. Original sin, the sinful tendencies, the desires and the dispositions in our heart with which we are all born with. Original sin is something that's inherent in us, meaning this is a morally ruined character that we all have. Because once sin entered the world, it came to us all. The original sin that we were all born with actually manifests itself uh, throughout our lives in actual sins, actions, thoughts, feelings that we have that violate God's moral commands. It's a sin nature that we have. But what are we going to do about it? And a couple years ago, after we had our second child, uh, my wife and I made the decision that I was going to have a uh, surgery that ensured we had no more kids. And... Uh, we decided we like playing man-to-man defense, two-to-two, rather than like being, uh, you know, unmanned and, uh, you know, prevent defense or whatever. But, uh, so we decided we were going to have this surgery. I was going to have the surgery. And so uh, there I am, I go into this surgery and I am uh, laid out on this table, uh, kind of like arms out, legs out, strapped down. There's like five or six people in the room. Why there was five or six, I don't know. All of which, but one were ladies. And uh, in this moment, as I am laid there, everything that I am, and uh, begin to talk with some of these people in the room because when I get nervous, I tell jokes and I like to talk because it takes all the, all the pressure off, I guess. And so I begin to just laugh, tell jokes, and start talking and getting to know these people that are in the room. And uh, I actually invited several of these, these ladies to my church to come on church on Sunday. I said, hey, you should come to church on Sunday. <laughs> but if you show up, do not talk to me and do not make eye contact with me. What's, don't even say who invited you when somebody asks. And so they laughed and I laughed and, you know, it was this good, this great time. But here's why I tell you that. Because uh, in this moment, I had never felt so vulnerable in my life. And actually, when I got done and I went out to the recovery room, there was a nurse that was out there that went to my church that had a kid in my youth group. And she's like, oh, you should have told me. I would have made sure I was scheduled to be in there in your surgery with you. I'm like, no. I I don't need that. (laughs) I had never felt so vulnerable in my life in that moment. You see, vulnerability is not comfortable, is it? It's not something we all enjoy and look forward to doing. But to intentionally put ourselves out there for people to see where we fall short is not desirable. But when it comes to God, it's needed. It's a requirement that we must come to God humbled and broken and say, Lord, I need you. Lord, I am broken and I need you. Where in your life right now do you need the Lord? Where is it? In what area? Have you been broken by your own sin or maybe by the sin of someone else that's had, they have sinned and it has affected you. Now you are being affected day in and day out. Here for just a second. Let's have just a moment of awkward, uncomfortable talk. (laughs) Some of you might be like, we're already there, man. (laughs) Well, let's stay there for just a second. Stay with me for just a second. There is woven into you and me from the earliest moments of our life a hyper-romanticism about how people or things will help us and fix us. That we learn as a young age that if we will have someone or something, that that will help that that will fix us. For some of you, it may be in a romantic relationship. And what I mean is maybe you're a single adult looking for uh, for your spouse. You think, man, if I can just have that spouse, then I'll feel complete. 
Or maybe you're someone that goes from one sexual conquest to the next. And just one more time, the next person, and that'll help me feel great about myself. And it's wrong. Maybe for some of you, it's a substance. If I can just find the next drug or the next high, if I can find the next drink, the next bottle, it'll help me numb the pain that I feel from all the other things that I'm facing or that are going on in my life. For some of you, it's possessions and stuff. If I can just accumulate the next thing, then I'll feel successful. If I can accumulate enough money, I'll feel worthy. Well, as the ancient scholar and uh, academic wisdom person that he is, the notorious B.I.G. said, mo money, mo problems. <laughs> you see, the more we accumulate and the more we look to other things and other people and other drink and other drug, it's just going to continue to lead us down the wrong path. And while we continually look to something or to someone, we have to understand this, that those will never be the one thing we need because the one thing we need is Jesus. That's the one thing. It's the only thing that will fulfill us. It's the only thing that will give us success and joy that is everlasting. Our sinful hearts, this original sin we talked about just a moment ago, cause us to make sinful choices causes us to think sinful thoughts and feel sinful feelings, all of which are actual sins. And we are not sinners because we sin. We sin because we are sinners. Let me say that again. We are not sinners because we sin. We sin because we are sinners. We are all born totally imprisoned by original sin. But there is not even a notion of goodness left in any one of us. But we can be restored We are a glorious ruin that can be restored by Jesus. That Romans 5.17 verse actually tells us that restoration is only possible because of God's wonderful grace and his gift of righteousness. That he has wonderful grace and that he wants to give us righteousness, give us freedom, give us salvation. And that's how we can be restored. Not by anything that we can find here, not by any one person that we can meet on this earth, but only through him. Which leads to number three, that you can be restored in God's hands because of your faith in Christ. You can be restored in God's hands because of your faith in Christ. The problem of our legal guilt and condemnation before God, it is solved by his reckoning to us the righteousness of Christ. Him giving that to us, him providing that to us, him uh, bringing this, this remedy, the answer to us. And the problem of our moral defilement, this habitual sinning that we feel, is solved by him purifying us through the work of the Holy Spirit. The first part of this remedy is justification. Justification means we have been justified from our sin, meaning because Jesus died on the cross, he took the sin of us on himself and he died in our place. So we have been justified and justification comes by what's called imputed righteousness. This is righteousness that has been credited to us. It's been put on our account. It's been uh, you know, labeled on down to our spiritual resume. And so we receive this righteousness. The other remedy is called sanctification. Sanctification is the process of becoming holy, becoming more like Jesus. And this remedy right here, sanctification, comes from what's called imparted righteousness. You had imputed, but now we have imparted. Imparted righteousness is what we are being taught, what we learn, and also what's revealed to us as we go. It's a process throughout our life. So justification is instantaneous. Sanctification is progressive. There's a progress, there's a process part of it. Paul actually tells the Philippians that this is the working out of your salvation. 
you look in 1 Peter 5.10, it says, And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Many of us have suffered because of uh, our own sin, and some of you have uh, by the sin of others, someone else. You may be the victim of someone else's poor choices, someone else's lies, someone else's adultery, their physical, verbal, or sexual assault, or their substance abuse. And you feel broken. You feel ruined. Well, let me tell you this. You can't let someone else's mistakes define you. No sexual conquest, no drug or drink, no possession can restore you. As this passage, it says, Christ himself is the only thing that can restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. In fact, we feel so much about this here at Coastal that we are actually beginning the process of, of starting a new ministry here called Celebrate Recovery. It's going to begin this fall. Celebrate Recovery is a 12-step a recovery program that's available to people that are recovering from alcohol abuse, drug addiction, sexual addiction, pornography addiction, overeating, over shopping. There's all sorts of different areas that this covers, but somebody that needs to recover will, can go through this 12-step process beginning this fall. And right now we're putting together a core team a team of people that have maybe have gone through something like this or this program itself and have, re have recovered or are on their way through recovery. And we're putting that core team together so that we can minister and serve those who need that in not only in this church, but in this community beginning this fall. If that's something that you would like to be involved in, something that you are interested in, maybe that's your passion, you wanna help those go through it, that face the things that you have already faced, I wanna invite you to just let us know through your Connect card today. Let us know. We're going to have a meeting here in just a couple weeks that uh, we will begin to lay out that process so that we begin to plan and organize and prepare for this fall so we can serve people in this community that need to work through and to recover from these different addictions or the different abuse that maybe they have faced. Colossians 3 verse 1 says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. How do we seek the things that are above? What is, what's our role in restoration? Here's a couple of things. These are not on your notes if you wanted to write them down, though. Uh, one is to begin to, uh, to read God's word and to apply it regularly to your life. To spend time in God's word and to take it in and to allow it to flow out of you through your actions, through your speech. But to also to submit yourself to God in prayer, daily prayer. We have the privilege and the honor to be able to communicate and talk to God anytime that we want to. Think about that. The God of the universe wants to talk to you. And you can do that at any point. Submit yourself to doing that regularly. Also regularly confess the sin choices that you make in rebellion to God and confess those to God, but also confess those to whom you have wronged. Confession of sin is something that will allow you to work through a lot of things in your life. Another one is to learn to walk in the Holy Spirit. Walking as if God is right there because if you have a relationship with Christ, he is. The Holy Spirit's working in you day in and day out. And also to gather for worship and community with other believers like we're doing right here today. Thankful for everybody that's here in person. Thankful for everybody that's online. I mean, if you're online and, like, and you're able, like we would love to see you here in person as soon as possible. And I know some of you can't, and that's fine. And, but when you're available and able, please join us. Because, man, there is nothing like gathering in a room together like this, worshiping God, being able to see people and to talk to people and to have community and to have accountability and encouragement, to love one another with just a smile. That's something that you can experience through gathering with worship, for worship and community with other believers on a regular basis. So our fourth thing today is that Jesus is the bridge from glorious ruin to glorious renewal. 
glorious ruin to glorious renewal. You see, in the Gospel of Luke, you will read that Jesus was crucified between two thieves, one of which continually rejected Jesus and the other who acknowledged Jesus as Lord by asking him to remember him. And when Jesus replied, said, today you will be with me in paradise. Two men on a cross, one making a decision to continually reject, one making a decision to say, you know what, I'm going to surrender who I am to you and please remember me in your kingdom. All of history is represented in these two thieves on the cross and their responses. We either remember, ask God to remember us in his kingdom, or we say, you know what, I don't want anything to do with this man. What we can think about in, in the idea of who Jesus is and the, what he's doing on this cross, when you've got these two men, one to each side of him, one who continually is rejecting and denying him, one who is surrendering his life to him, now every one of us fits into one of these two categories. And this paints a perfect picture for what we're talking about today because the idea is that we all go into this world and we come to this world and we are rejecting everything that we know. We reject God, we reject Jesus. And the idea is that ultimately we would find a moment where we hear about who Jesus is and what he did for us on the cross and we surrender our life to him and that we move to the other side to where we confess him as savior and Lord. And it makes a great picture because we're talking about a bridge, but you think about Jesus on the cross as the bridge that he is to bridge you from rejection of him to complete surrender. The idea is that we want to move from this side to this side, across the bridge that only Jesus can provide. There is no drug, there is no possession, there is no other person, there is no amount of money that can fill that gap and be that bridge like Jesus did on the cross. That's the one bridge that we need. That's the one bridge that's important to move us from death to life, from hell to heaven, from eternal damnation to eternal glory and salvation with God. That's our hope. That's why we, we, we read God's word and why we spend time in God's word and why we, we serve in our community and why we love people and why we do what we do, not only as a church, but you as individuals in your family and in your workplace and on your, in your kids' schools and all of those kinds of things, that you do that so that you can bring people from death to life and it only comes through Jesus and introducing them to him. Both men on the cross were broken by their own actions and by the actions of others, but only one of them was restored. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. You must stop believing that the best version of you is the thing that is going to solve life's issues and give you freedom because that is wrong. Your best version does not even compare to the version that is Jesus. When you surrender your life to Jesus, you are a new creation, as it says right here in 2 Corinthians, and your old self has been put to death. We cannot allow our past hurts and our sins to keep us in chains because Jesus has already broken those chains and they cannot stop you. Why do we live like those things can? When we surrender our life to Jesus, we can move beyond the chains. We can be, move beyond the temptation and the trial and the struggle and ultimately look to him with everything that we have. There's not one murderer on death row there's not one person of any belief, not one person in any disagreement with you, and not one person in this room or watching online right now that is not still these three things, made in the image of God, broken by sin and evil, and capable of being restored by the work of Jesus Christ. The path of life, the fullness of joy is found in a vertical relationship with Jesus, and then that will solve our horizontal relationships and issues. The offer on the table is this, for every single one of you, myself included, and everybody watching online, the offer on the table is this, to put to death the things that we think can save us 
and to trust in the God who sacrificed his son, Jesus, on our behalf. The question is this. Will you listen? Will you answer? And will you receive the offer that is available to each and every one of us? Right now, I want to ask you to do something. I'm going to ask everybody just to bow their heads and close their eyes, just to kind of take some, just a little bit of inward focus for just a moment. Even if you're watching online, <clears throat> everybody in here, myself included, we have things that we're allowing to hold us back. We have sin that's in our life. We have struggles that we're facing. We have things that have been done to us or things that we've done that we don't think we can move past. But let me tell you, Jesus has provided the way. And so what I want to do right now is I want to pray over you, every single one of you in this room. If you've got something going on right now that has broken you and you're allowing it not to be restored and it's been a struggle, it's been a, a, a vice, a, a sin that you've held onto and you don't feel like you have moved past it, in this moment, I want you to really focus on, uh, on relieving that and releasing that to God as I pray. Father, I am so thankful that when, like many in this room, I was rusting and corroding, you didn't leave me in the junk heap of the universe. Almighty God, when humanity turned away from you, you could have discarded earth and been done with us. You could have said it's too much mess, too much work, too much pain. But instead, you saw our flaws and our brokenness. Jesus, you felt our pain and experienced our consequences so you could buy us back. Lord, I belong to you. I invite you to continue restoring me. I give you the keys to my life. I give you full permission to change the parts of me that need to be restored. I surrender my thoughts and I ask you to shape them. I surrender my relationships and my habits, shape them. Lord, make me what you desire me to be. Would you stay close to me as the restorer? Would you renew my mind, restore my soul, refresh my spirit, recreate my relationships? Where things seem broken and hopeless, would you help me trust in your process, trust in your timing, and trust in your capable hands? Lord, I need to trust you for my own restoration and also for the restoration of the people I care about so deeply. Use me now in your restoration work in this world. Use me to love the unlovable and to reach out to those who don't know you yet. Please use me to introduce others to your loving and strong hands. I believe in you as the Redeemer, and I ask these things in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening. From Pastor Chris and the family at Coastal Community Church, have a blessed day.